Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. We're going to get right to it today. So much. We have a full, full, wonderful episode coming with, I, I would say, one of the most unique resources yet on this podcast. Our guests are two outstanding individuals with quite a story of how they met and their incredible ongoing contributions to society, just astounding. First, Jennifer Bishop Jenkins, an award-winning and nationally recognized speaker in pet grooming education and victims' rights advocacy. She is owner of Love for Dogs in the Chicago area, a master groomer at that, and we will hear how she incorporates the therapeutic benefits of grooming for individuals struggling with mental illness. As well, we also welcome her husband and co-owner of Love for Dogs, Bill Jenkins, who is an associate professor at Dominican University in Chicago in the Graduate School of Social Work, also in the College of Arts and Education, and a theater too, I will have you correct me, Bill, if I'm wrong, and sure. um, an expert in the subject matter of US labor laws regarding those with disabilities, as well as trauma, and trauma related to uh, trauma-informed leadership. So that being said, we have a lot to hear from these two, starting with their amazing story, and we welcome both of you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. It's good to be here. And appreciate your time. You two are probably the busiest people around. So uh, why don't you start with your story at the beginning? Yeah, how did you get into all this? So um, both Bill and I have had murders in our family, and that is a really unusual way for a couple to meet uh, and, and, and end up getting married. But uh, my sister, her husband, and their baby were murdered uh, in 1990 and went out to Illinois. And, um, you know, I'm still, all of these years later, even after my parents have passed, uh, we're still having to go to court against the offender who's, um, you know, dealing with uh, sentencing, uh, attempting to reduce his sentence. And, you know, so I've had to become very expert very quickly in um, his diagnoses. He, he had mental health diagnoses. Um, but also, you know, Bill uh, and I met at a murder victims conference where we were there seeking mutual support and, and working on issues that mattered to us. And um, Bill is the author of a really um, famous book uh, in, the, in the victim community, What to Do When the Police Leave, a guy did the first days of traumatic loss. He was an invited speaker. We were on a panel together. And the rest is history. His son was murdered, and that's how we met. Wow. First of all, I'd like to say condolences to both of you. I, um, I'm, I'm truly empathetic to what you have gone through, especially being in law enforcement. And so my heart goes out to both of you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. It's just an unimaginable experience you each have had. One of the things I wanted to do with my book was to um, write the first book that was written by a victim who uh, was trying to offer advice and uh, practical and useful information as opposed to telling my story. Uh, and I think that's what's distinguished my book from, from so many other books by victims that are out there. Uh, and then once you write a book, people think you know things. And so that's <laughs> when I got invited to this conference where I met Jennifer. So Meant to be. Yeah, definitely yeah. was meant to be. So, um, you know, we have so many, so many issues to talk about that you two work with, but starting with um, 
what I've known, Jennifer and I have actually known each other for quite a few years, having Jennifer on a board of a nonprofit I was working with. And you, at that point, started this business with dog grooming and a fascinating edge to that, if you could talk a little bit about it. Sure. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm both Bill and I are school teachers. I'm a, you know, I taught for almost three decades, high school and even some part-time college. Um, I was a high school social studies teacher and, and, you know, of course, Bill has been a college professor. So I, uh, you know, we are both teachers first, I think, and foremost. And, um, but I've been showing, you know, I grew up with, you know, German shepherds. And when I first um, was, you know, out of college and living on my own for the first time, I got into a German shepherd of my own. And the only one I could get was one that, you know, required me to take it to dog shows because they wouldn't sell it to me unless I showed this puppy. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, dog show, what's that? I have no idea. <laughs> so I, uh, I took the dog to the show and, you know, kind of got into the sport of it and um, had a lot of fun with it. And then pretty soon I'm, you know, seeing cute little poodles and cocker spaniels at the dog show. And I want one of those too. And so it, I, you know, within, by the time I was 25, I was already having to groom my show dogs and um, while I was teaching school and um, I had to, um, you know, get, get good at the, the dog thing. I think that the, you know, throughout all of the decades of the horrific murders in our family and the work that we've both chosen to do on gun violence prevention and criminal justice reform and all and victims rights and all of the other things that we do, the, the, the dogs are just therapy. I mean, let's face it, they are the best therapy. Yeah, I and, agree. Dogs yeah. are the best therapy. There's they are. No They're my happy place. And so, <laughs> you know, I have a I have a daughter that wanted to learn to groom. And um, she said to me when I retired from teaching, I was uh, actually working in, in victims rights full time. Um, she said, uh, you know, why don't you teach me to groom so I can learn, too? And um, you know, that was, would require me to open a business. And so we opened Love for Dogs in Glencoe. And um, we are an award-winning shop. Um, and we're, um, uh, I was selected by Chicago Tribune Magazine as the best groomer in Chicago in 2015. And, you know, we're just having a lot of fun with it. It's a great business. But it's also led to, I think, our, our you know, some, our topic for today, which is, this whole idea of, you know, what do you what do you do when you have an employee that has maybe mental health concerns? And um, uh, because I'd had some mental illness issues, you know, in my family, and because I was a, I have a master's degree in psychology, educational psychology, and, and know a lot about mental health issues from that education. Um, I just, uh, you know, I I was always open to the idea that. Um, you know, people of all uh, neurodiverse um, and, and emotionally diverse people, um, that that was a really good place for them working with dogs, um, that there was probably a lot of things that they could do in my shop. Uh, and so I immediately, I'm also friends with somebody called um, JJ Hanley, who's at a JJ's list. And if you know, in the Chicago area, they have a list of um, disability friendly businesses. And I knew I wanted to be one of those because of my, um, you know, my my commitment to diversity. And um, so we were very intentional about um, being open to hiring people of different uh, diverse backgrounds, including mental health issues. And it has worked 
you know, it, it hasn't been a lot of employees, but there's been quite a few and it's worked amazingly well, I think. So, so what, what part of dog grooming? I mean, I, I look at, I recently lost my dog of 17 years, but many, many uh, times to walk into a groomer's and I'm the type of person I love standing there watching them being shampooed. You know, it's just, it's so much fun to see all the, if you can look in the window. Um, what, what are some of the jobs? I mean, what are the specifics of what's good for someone who comes to you struggling with some sort of uh, mental health issue or disability. I know you you also deal with disabilities in general, but what are some specific jobs that are good for this? I mean, within well, the grooming. Within the business. Yeah, that's a great within question. Um, so uh, I actually am also a columnist for Groomer to Groomer magazine. It's oh, a national magazine. Right. And I wrote a column about this training and hiring persons with disabilities. You can find it at groomer to groomer, T-O groomer.com. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it speaks to the, that there are different things you can do, but obviously there are some parts of it where you're handling scissors and, you know, clippers and sharper things. And so you want to have people that are, you know, safety, safety, safety is always your first consideration. The basic components uh, to, to anybody's day that works in a dog grooming situation is you're going to be bathing them, you're going to be drying them. You're going to be giving them either a brush and maybe just some trimming around the feet. It depends on what breed they are, or you're going to be giving them a full all over haircut. And, um, and then you're going to be cleaning up. And those are the four things that all of us do all day long. We bathe, we dry, we clean, we uh, groom and we clean. So, um, and there was lots of, I, I had a big enough business with a large enough a facility and clientele very quickly grew very rapidly um, that I have separate rooms for those things. Even. Oh. And so um, uh, it, what I found is that when I had some people of uh, differing abilities or that had different mental health diagnoses, and I can give you a couple of them, um, you know, I had to evaluate each person's situation individually. You can't across the board just say, you know, uh, anybody that has a mental health challenge would be good at grooming. You just have to look at the individual person and what their, you know, what their issues are. But for me, it was about um, what were the things, uh, the first person that came to me was a young, uh, young woman who was, who had some developmental disabilities, but was also extremely emotionally fragile. But she loved dogs and she was um, a very nice young lady and could not be friendlier. Um, but putting her in this one room where there was just blow dryers and where she could sit and where she could hold the dryer still and kind of just coat, you know, coax the dog and pet the dog and talk to the dog and comfort the dog while blowing it dry. Uh, and it's a somewhat tedious job, I would say. Um, because sometimes if it's a big dog, you know, you're trying to blow dry a Newfoundland or something, it's going to take <laughs> you like an hour, seriously. Yeah. Um, and 45 minutes or a half an hour where you're just holding a dryer on a dog and um, brushing them maybe a little bit and just, you know, one hand on the dog and one hand on the dryer. And this first young lady that came to me that really um, was clearly, you know, had some emotional fragility in addition to some developmental issues 
Um, I realized um, very quickly that this drying job was perfect for her because she would she would sit patiently, like whereas other people would be bored with the job. She was that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. But and also, I guess the there's a reward, you know, it's a means to an end, like this dog at the end is dried and feels good. Yeah. And, you know, you Gives see the, you see the yes. results, you see immediate results. Yeah. Well, and after the she, 45, who knows what minutes. She but was still. so proud to get the job. Yeah. Fantastic. She was so happy that I would employ her. And that, um, and by the way, I'm going to say that in all of my years of having dozens and dozens of people do that job for me, um, that she is, she was the best I ever had because she wow. didn't, she didn't get distracted. She was completely focused on the dog and she would sit there patiently and she always went that extra mile to make sure it was perfect. Um, you know, like when I said to her bone dry, even on the ears. Whereas other people couldn't get that, you know, she was fanatical about it in a way. And so um, the, the thing we had to be careful about was, you know, if there was, uh, we've had other employees like, you know, teenage men that would harass her a little bit because they are just jerks. <laughs> they don't work for me anymore. But she, um, she would sometimes burst into tears and she would just need to take a break and that would be fine too. One of the things I'd like to mention about this this level of, of functionality uh, with her, uh, we were, unlike a lot of employers, uh, we were paying her minimum wage and, and above. We were play, paying her what we would pay anyone uh, to do the same job because she was essentially doing the same job. Uh, one of the things we found out after she left us and, and moved away um, is that uh, the last time we communicated with her, um, she was underemployed uh, and she was working for subminimum wages because uh, they considered her um, uh, not worthy of, of the, the, full, uh, the full salary that we were paying her, and which this is of course is another case. issue. Yeah, yeah, this, this, is, is, this is another issue that yeah. um, kind of gets me, gets me going is, is the whole um, uh, subminimum uh, employment uh, and wages that are allowed by federal law uh, because of this outdated 1938, you know, Fair Labor Standards Act. But um, and we don't have to get into that today. But but well, just we, to this just is to crucial. Point out we, how, we'll have a whole nother. Uh, we'll this is a different thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. but still, it's it is tied into this because look at you're providing a win-win situation basically. Absolutely for mm -hmm. the employee. For the customer, certainly, but it also has to work for the employer because they pay their they need to pay their bills, et cetera. But they're hiring someone who right. is doing the job of anyone that would be doing that specific yeah. blow drying or what have you. Now, to be fair, um, she was able to do that and she was able to function at that level. Um, there are other people that that would not be. And, um, you know, you have to you do have to take it on a case by case basis. But I think the. The imperative for the employer is to be willing to look and at the at their company and examine it from top to bottom and say where can our needs as a business intersect with the needs of uh, this this community and this population uh, for employment uh, and and work that out. And, and I, I I would assume on on some level that it was almost therapeutic for her. Totally was. Especially she, if she has repeat customers, right? Yeah, yeah. And she gets and to she, know the animals and has a connection mm -hmm. with them, mm -hmm. and yep. it becomes 
very rewarding. And you're giving her this major positive feedback. You're the one, you're great with it. You're great with the dogs around the ears or you're great with, you know, that she's the, Mm -hmm. that's her area. She's, she's the expert. She's the expert at that. She actually felt um, really, really proud and got very upset when her, when her family, they moved and, and she had to, and she had to leave. But she really, uh, she never missed work. She was always so friendly to everybody. She mm-hmm. would she would write people these sweet cards when there was a <laughs> birthday on the staff. She was just a delight to work with. And and she was um, but she was very fragile. And so you like the one time I learned that you can't really like, you know, if if she doesn't do something quite right, if you correct her like, hey, don't do that. You know, if I were to say it like that to her, she would burst into tears and melt and collapse. But if um, but if I kind of went to her and said, hey, let's try it this way and let's let's just show her or whatever. And she she would do it and then we'd repeat it and then she'd be fine. Um, but, you know, she's not the only case of, of somebody that has found that working with dogs has really helped them therapeutically. I mean, I think we know the science of uh, mm-hmm. the, the benefit of dogs for people that have, um, you know, any kind of uh, mental health issues. Um, I have, um, I've had a, a gentleman work there that was in the military and uh, six years um, served in Iraq, Afghanistan, came back with PTSD and has struggled with depression and is diagnosed and is seeking regular therapy and, and you know, has had a, a mother die very young and some other issues that have really um, made mental health challenges for him throughout his adult life. And um, he is our he, he does a job all day long. We have a, a daycare as well. And so we keep dogs during the day and we have this special room and it's all indoors. It's kind of in a basement area and it's fixed up very nice for the dogs and plenty of room for them to run and a little indoor potty and uh, lots of playing ball. But there's a lot of people that found being in that room all day long, just watching dogs and playing ball with them and cleaning up after them and playing with them and kissing on them and then putting them down for naps and then whatever, all the things that had to be done. Most people have found that job kind of lonely and boring. And every time I've tried to put, um, you know, some of my more active young people down in that job, they just couldn't stick with it. But this guy loves and has loved the job. He is the best daycare director we've ever had. He, he sits there and interacts with each dog. He loves them and bonds to them and talks to them. He dresses them up in costumes. He, you know, <laughs> I love he, that. He sends pictures to their families throughout the day. And then he, oh, you know, plays games with them. And he's just amazing. And, and mm-hmm. yet he has these diagnoses that have um, been a real challenge to him, but he's been a, a wonderful mm-hmm. daycare director. I think that's a, it's important to be able to find the place in your company that is the best fit for the person that needs the job. Uh, and oftentimes uh, we we need to remember that um, the goal of of employing someone here is not to provide therapy, of course, and and you do expect right. that they are holding up their end with their own therapy and their own their own so uh, you, therapeutic. Do you have some way of making sure that they are holding up their end? Do you require anything like that? And I'm asking some of these questions, by the way, for you know it for our interest sake, but also because people 
uh, our Behind Our Door family is listening from all over the country and outside yeah. the country. And those that are in the position of being able to be trained to either uh, are, that are groomers that could do something of the sort mm -hmm. or those that are struggling with mental illness that would like to do this. Uh, what well, is the specific on that? Like, do you have? Yeah, and here, here we have to start. Sorts that well, I think we have to look at the law and the American mm, yeah, with Disabilities Act. We have the privacy issues. We have the different issues. Um, I, but I, I want to let me complete my thought, and then I'll get to that. Um, so, even though a job is not designed to be therapy, it can still be very, very therapeutic. It sure sounds uh, just by just by nature, the nature of it. Uh, it's like it's like friendships and relationships. I tell people when they're dealing with traumatized uh, friends and, and family members, you can't provide therapy to these folks, but your presence, your reliable relationship with them in a safe environment is going to be very therapeutic for them. And I think that as we move into the world of trying to uh, mainstream um, the disabled community and, and people who are, are dealing with specific issues, whether they're mental, cognitive, physical, whatever, emotional. However, it falls on any of those uh, spectrums and categories. Um, the element of trust, I think, is the most important. Uh, it's, you know, we really don't know any anything about someone unless they tell us, unless they tell us voluntarily. We can't force them to tell us things about themselves. We can't uh, ask them what medications they're on. We can't ask right. them what kind of therapy yeah, they're getting. It's just you just can't do that. But when you develop a, a sense of trust with, with that person and you, um, you know, we're required to, within, within reason, remove physical obstacles from people uh, in the workplace, from people who may have physical disabilities. Well, the same goes for emotional obstacles in a, in a workplace for someone that's dealing with emotional issues and, and mental health issues. Um, and once you begin removing those obstacles and they know they can trust their employer and they know they can trust their supervisor and they know they can be, uh, they can, they can develop good relationships with their coworkers and trust them. Uh, it, it really is all about, about trust and, uh, and, and developing a relationship that you can be honest with you, with each other in. Uh, and, uh, and, and at that point, then they'll begin to, uh, be more able to communicate about uh, the, the treatment that they're getting outside of the, the work environment, um, what they're doing for their own self-care, all of these other things that we can't, you know, demand that they tell us, but you, you, you don't work at it from the top down. You never do. You, you always have to come at it from the bottom up, develop the relationships, develop the trust, and develop the, uh, the ability for people to feel free to uh, to share and to be um, uh, helpful, so that we can all work this out to the best of your ability and avoid the landmines wherever they might be buried. And, and honestly, you know, each of these situations, you know, we came to know about the their mental health issues, you know, in different ways. The the the, the veteran who was, uh, you know, um, depressed and had PTSD issues after uh, serving in a war zone for six years. Um, you know, he was a friend of a friend and, and he came to us, we knew going into it. And frankly, you know, sometimes people with not great interpersonal skills, he wouldn't be a person I put at the front desk or something. But, um, but he does great in this basement situation, playing with dogs all day. Our business's name is Love for Dogs. And the number one criteria by which I hire people is their ability to love and care for dogs. 
And I have never had any problem with um, people with a a challenge. This young lady that was working in the drying room, she would, um, you know, to sit with headphones over your ears seven out of eight hours a day, um, you know, protecting your own hearing and just holding dryers on these dogs. There's not a lot of people that can do that without being bored out of their minds. She was completely relaxed and focused and in her very quiet, peaceful space. And she, she was never mm-hmm. happier. And, um, you know, we've also, I've also trained all the way up to the very complicated haircutting level. I have trained um, uh, a person who has borderline personality disorder. And that person is one of the best groomers I've ever known doesn't want to do more than four or five dogs a day, doesn't want to do, you know, eight, 10, 12 dogs a day, has, you know, good self-care and good self-limiting abilities. But having uh, having a diagnosis, a mental health issue, does not preclude you from working, I think, mm-hmm. with animals as long as you have proper training, proper supervision, that your, your disabilities don't conflict with anything that's a safety issue at all. Um, I think that this is, um, I think there's, and given the fact that there's a huge increase in the dog population, not only in the United States, but globally after the pandemic, uh, dog groomers are like veterinarians, like kennels, like trainers are slammed right now. There's a labor shortage right now. Currently in the United States, we have the lowest unemployment in 50 years and everybody is hiring and everybody's having a hard time finding people willing to do more, you know, jobs that are a little bit more menial or, or cleaning or um, may, might be more physically, you know, might require more physical um, um, activity. Uh, it, it is a real, uh, I think it's a real, these young, these young people, the, the few that I have hired that have mental health issues, every single one of them has been a success. I've only had one that didn't work and she was really more special needs than she was a mental health issue. Um, and we did try working with a local community placement organization and she just, you know, she wasn't able to, to adequately do the, the cleaning skills and the, and the handling skills with the animals. It wasn't, a, it's not a perfect fit for everybody, but it has worked, you know, nine times out of 10 for me, it has worked very well in, um, for these young people and for me. And my, my thought process was that you have provided a safe haven for, for these people because I feel like oftentimes they don't, they don't know what their limits are, but they don't know what their qualifications are either. And they need somewhere safe to explore some of that, to mm-hmm. know that they're better than they think they are. And their self-esteem, I mean, to think of what happens to self-esteem in this, to just... It must just you must see it before your eyes changes in in how these these young or whatever age people these employees are and when they leave your grooming business every night or what have you i can't imagine anything less than they have huge improvements in their personal life i mean uh, it just what a boost the uh, the the young man that is the uh, he's not a young man he's actually he just turned 40. Um, the, uh, the, the man that is the, the veteran that has the uh, depression and PTSD issues, he, he's making the best money of his life right now. 
for me. And also they stick to like your turnover sounds like it's low. They, Mm -hmm. you have the same people stay for quite a while. Am I wrong? Um, You know, it's a mixed bag. Um, We do have some people that come and go like a summer job type situation, but um, no, we have, you know, um, I've got employees there that have been there, you know, eight, nine years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's some long retention. Especially in that well, way. and one of the one of the best things about that is that they get to know each other, they get to trust each other again, um, and and you can change your cultural mindset at work when you have that kind of stability uh, and that kind of trust. I, um, I was talking to Jennifer earlier today. We were talking about this whole idea that you know, again, when it gets to the to this issue of reasonable accommodations and what are reasonable accommodations and how can you afford these things? Well, the cheapest, in fact, there's no expense to the accommodation of changing your cultural mindset at work. You don't have to build handicap ramps. You don't have to install special desks. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is help people change their minds. Mm-hmm. Costs nothing. It's patience. And all you need is pay to either develop patience, develop a little education yeah. about how you interact with other people who may be, uh, may be vulnerable to make sure that People are treating each other with dignity and respect and justice and not playing pranks on each other and not thinking that it's funny to um, uh, to uh, uh, to pick on people and and things like that. And, and this even goes back to the whole concept of OSHA and uh, the requirement for an emotionally safe workspace. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things we have to remember is that laws are there to make sure we are doing things that we should always be doing anyway. We should be nice to each other. We should we should be considerate to each other. We should be accommodating to each other. We should not be discriminating against other people. Uh, we should be treating everyone with dignity and respect and equality. And oh my gosh, we have to have laws about this. Yeah. Because right. there are people out there who won't do it. Who yeah, who don't have that. Um, Quite frankly, I'm the one. I, I'm I'm questioning their mental health <laughs> when it comes right down because they're point. the ones that Agreed. need the work. Agreed. Uh, right. Um, when it comes uh, it comes to how they treat other people and and, and, and this has not uh, been you know incident free over the years. Um, mm-hmm. We've had a couple of employees that were kind of cruel to our young lady blow dryer um, because she was so fragile and emotionally at times. And, um, you know, I, I had to, um, I had to step in and, and correct, um, you know, some people that were not handling that well, and just reminding them, you know, that, uh, you know, we have to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And so, but, you know, when you're a, an owner of a small business, and you have young people uh, working for you, you're always educating them and training them in any, any number of ways about how they have to conduct themselves. It, you know, you just have to constantly keep communication open. In a couple of cases, they, you know, the parents of these employees were very engaged with me, told me right from the beginning what the issues were, uh, were very, very grateful and very, very supportive of whatever they had to do to be, um, to be of help to make sure that, um, you know, that they got to work on time and things like that. Um, something that I was just thinking when you were talking about when we were hearing patience is so essential in in hiring individuals that are going to be trained in this way. Um, I wish, you know, thinking of those listening that perhaps own a dog grooming 
business or what have you and saying, God, I, I would love to do that. I'm assuming that not just anybody can just say, okay, I'm going to hire someone to do this. What, what is the training so that this is done properly? I feel like it's a responsibility beyond to have this sort of setup, even though, boy, like I said, win-win. Um, what would the person who is the groomer or, or the business owner have to do to be trained, to train the trainer? What do they need to know? You have all of this fabulous education. It makes total sense that you're doing what you're doing. What do they need? So that's a great idea. A lot, a great question. We have a lot of people, uh, you know, that um, are owners of dog grooming businesses but aren't groomers. It, the hardest of all of those things, the management, the front desk, the paying the bills, the, you know, the for everything from the cleanup at the end of the day, which is always significant, and um, you know, the daycare, blow drying, bathing, cutting hair, you know, managing the front desk, um, you know, doing the business part of the business. That, that my husband Bill does, um, all of those things are different skill sets. And um, for the, of all of those, the hardest is the actual haircutting. To actually cut hair with scissors and clippers um, and to know all the different breeds of dogs, you are looking at probably a year solid of working as an apprentice, schooling, um, practice, 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 you know, eight hours a day, five days a week for, you know, for a year before you can really cut hair alone without supervision um the, you know probably a year to two years uh, two years probably before you're going to get fast so um, that's the hardest part um and uh but you can learn to bathe a dog in a day you can learn to dry a dog in a day and um you know i've had uh, um, a lot of people that i know that love dogs that have set up businesses but then themselves are not groomers. They just hire people to cut the hair and then they run the business side of it. But so, beyond that, not to interrupt, but beyond that, the responsibility of training those that are struggling with mental illness or you yeah. know disabilities as well. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm really asking too, is with all of this, you know, so they have a business up and running, let's say. Yeah. Um, groomers, shampooers, blow dryers. And we're, they're listening to this podcast saying, well, I'd love to do that. This is really something. How do they get trained to, or how do they get the education to be able to hire people right. in this realm and do it the right way? I mean, you guys are doing a, you know, well, a plus I, job. Somebody, you have to have some training in how to do that. I've taken classes with the National Alliance Mental on Mental Illness, the NAMI folks. They wonder, they offer wonderful free education. Of course, I've taken it for professional reasons and for. Mm -hmm you know, family reasons and so on. I, I definitely um, feel like that I knew the difference between uh, a sociopath and a depressed and a bipolar and a schizophrenic. And I mean, I like, I know the difference between these things. And so I would, for example, probably never hire anybody with a sociopathic disorder. Um, because that's going to be a person maybe that would be of danger to the animals and might hurt them when nobody is looking. Um, so I, I, you know, I would know, you know, kind of uh, because I know the mental illnesses uh, and mental health challenges after, you know, 30 years in education and a lot of schooling on the subject. Um, so I, you know, I think that's a good point. I'm not sure everybody is 
going to be as knowledgeable if they are running a dog grooming business um, at you know how to filter out what would be a, a, a mental health issue that would be a manageable one and what would mm-hmm. not be. Right. That's what I was really interested yeah. in. Those are great suggestions. One of the things that you have to remember is that as an employer, there, there is a bit of a firewall between you and your employees. Uh, and it's and it's there for a reason. Um, you're not their mom. You're not their therapist. You're not their dad. You're not their uncle. Um, you're their employer. And they do the work and you evaluate them on that work. So much of what we have to deal with, and this is reinforced in the in the materials that are put out by the federal government too, is you evaluate your employees on a level playing field. Um, and uh, you make reasonable accommodations when necessary. Uh, the big the big problem we run into is okay, how are you going to define reasonable accommodations in your particular workforce? But you can get past that if you're creative enough. I'm I'm firmly convinced. Um, but I think that as you're looking at the jobs and evaluating the the positions that are available in your company, um, there there are a couple of things that you need to look at specifically. One is how much stress and demand does that job entail? Because uh, that will inform the person, uh, uh, the employee, um, uh, of of the level of functionality that they they're going they're going to need to be able to tolerate that. Um, how much control does that person have in that position? Because even though you may have high demand, if you have high control, you generally will be able to function quite well. I mean, airline pilots do it all the time. They land airplanes. I couldn't do that. That would be a high demand and really low control on my part. But they have high demand and high control because they have the training and the ability to to function. Um, how fast do you have to work and at what level of quality? Um, what level of knowledge or training do you have to have? And in, are you capable of, of managing that and learning all of those things? If you can learn it, great. Uh, put you to work. Uh, and what safety issues are involved? And if you can come to an agreement together about how all of that fits with the abilities, not you know, we don't talk about the limitations of the person. We talk about what the, what can they do. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier as well. Um, this can also be an exploration of uh, saying, listen, uh, you know, maybe we can push a little bit and and see if you can rise to this level. Have you ever tried it? Well, no. Well, let's give it a try and. Provide plenty of resources, plenty of uh, um, uh, guidance, plenty of uh, assistance if necessary, uh, and see if, see what can be discovered. Uh, too many employers just simply throw their hands up and say, "I just don't want to deal with that." Right, and they need to stop doing that. Uh, they need to be willing to put the effort in to finding um, uh, finding places in their in their in their workplace where. Um, folks can come in and and be their best selves. And, and you know, it's owning a small business, as Bill and I have, have just spent the last you know nine years of our life doing together as a couple. Not something we ever thought we would be doing, but you know, you have to learn and you have to be flexible too. And one of the things I have had to learn is that whether the person is whether my employee is a normal, normally you know just a normal, healthy, functional person. There is no perfect person, okay? There's not a single employee that isn't going to have strengths and weaknesses, okay? True. And it's always a matter of finding the strengths and finding the weaknesses and making them match the job as best that you can. I have been grateful for uh, some of the employees that came into me with challenges 
who I maybe had to make, you know, for example, um, uh, you know, my my military veteran that has struggled um, is so excellent at his job, but not the world's greatest cleaner. Okay, and so we we have extra help for that. We have somebody else assigned that assists with that. Um, uh, and he doesn't make as much as that person who does multiple, you know, there's a, there's a pay differential too, and he's well aware of it. Um, but he is so thrilled and so happy to be making as good a money as he is and that he's doing so well at the job. And likewise, I've had some really good employees, very good, um, haircutters even who simply for, for stress, trauma, or other, um, mental health issues would not be able to work a full day. And they just say, look, mm -hmm. I'll do this much and I can't do any more. Mm -hmm. And it would come out pretty clearly, pretty quickly that, you know, that they had to be given a different schedule or, you know, there mm -hmm. were, um, we've had uh, one young lady that has been struggling uh, at, you know, in the mornings has some illness issues and has a very hard time. And we had to move her start time or uh, it, we had another person that we had to, you know, send home after only four or five hours of work. But these are things when I'm having a hard time even filling the demand. I mean, we have, we're turning people away at my business and we have a two month waiting list wow. to get wow. in and we don't have enough employees willing to do the work. And so uh, finding people that are willing to do it, but for whom I have to maybe make a slight change in their, in their job, that is a fair, very fair trade for me. Well, it sounds to me like you had to learn to manage your own expectations because of the ever-changing environment with these yes, yes, exactly. employees. Yeah. My, my other question is, how often do you have to manage crisis with these Ooh, good employees? Question, Julie. Or, um, and, and how do you? you know? in, in nine years, I've maybe had three crises. Well. Um, and um, in the business, in your business day, yeah. during the business day. Um, no, not usually, but maybe it's a, that they just didn't show up because there was something right. happening in their personal life. That was one time. Um, one of my uh, employees that had some um, mental health um, issues, her mother committed suicide, oh, and gosh. we wow. we lost her um, for um, for months, and so we just you know. So yes, we have, um, you know, we have issues, but that's true of any employees. <laughs> that would be true for any, uh, any small business owner. You're going to have people who have car accidents or they, you know, right. tripped and broken their legs or something, mm -hmm. you know, things happen all the time. You have to always have backup plans. And that would be true for any, any group of employees, not just ones that have mental health issues. But I, I think you also need to look at it in, in terms of the workplace as well. If you have a trusting relationship with your employee, you can trust their gut. And if they say, uh, I know you asked me to do this, but I really don't feel comfortable doing it. You listen to them and you find somebody else to do it. Uh, and one of the best ways to avoid a crisis uh, or to not have a crisis, just avoid it completely by listening to the people on the front line and not pushing them to do something that they don't feel comfortable doing because of whatever reason, 
um, knowing everybody's limitations, not just you know one particular group of people or one particular person, knowing everybody's limitations. I have limitations. Jennifer has limitations. Right. Um, our, all of our groomers, everybody functioning from the highest level of functionality to the lowest level of functionality in the company have limitations. And and we respect that, and we know each other well enough that we're not going to push somebody to do something uh, that they don't feel comfortable or don't feel safe doing. Um, and that is a huge part of uh, avoiding these kinds of uh, crises uh, in the first place. And quite frankly, the biggest crises we've had are from our most experienced and most qualified people yeah. just trying to work too fast or trying to do too much. Everybody else, uh, is, especially like our, our, our bather or our, our, our dryer who uh, you know would sit in the back, she was very cautious and knew her limitations and knew there were things that when she needed help, she'd get somebody. She was, if anything, the safest person we had <laughs> in the building because she was aware of what she could and uh, do and what she needed help. And she wasn't um, the fastest, but I never, no. she was not the fastest. She was definitely, however, the most thorough. And I never, ever, ever had to go back and redo a dog of hers the way I've had for some of my other, maybe more, you know, externally capable employees, but mm -hmm. they get in such a hurry sometimes that they don't quite catch every detail. Mm -hmm. Well, the opportunity that you have given and continue to, to individuals in your business, I hope inspire those listening that could do the same because, wow. I mean, you're making a difference in these lives of all of these individuals that will last forever for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just uh, the biggest gift, self-esteem and um, skill, everything. It's just, and, and joining your community of love for dogs, it's just uh, mm -hmm. beyond special. You yeah. two are really mm -hmm. something. Definitely. And you have so much more to say. Jennifer, we need to have you back in a whole separate podcast for your victim rights advocacy and work in Marcy's Law. I mean, there is just so much, so much to say, uh, so much conversation, so crucial mm -hmm. with both of you that we will have another podcast just with you on that, Jennifer. And also, Bill, your uh, teachings on trauma enforced if trauma informed leadership and continuing about the uh legal rights that you're talking about um mm -hmm. a whole nother discussion there just isn't enough time uh to cover all of this in in this this simple you know discussion on i'm glad we focused on the uh love for dogs which is i'm thinking i want to learn how to shampoo I think <laughs> I, how could it's you fun. not smile i i would just it's fun i mean yeah. just the whole i'm thinking of that my arms are moving the if whole you're hiring right? if you're hiring <laughs> i i think i need to do that it just yes. sounds like talk about a happy place yeah. I mean, nancy nancy you're welcome to come over and bathe the dog any day and you're probably going to get a happy dog kiss if you'll have me, I just, it just, sound, just don't uh, wear any makeup. Cause yeah, right. I think it, with I'd come in a raincoat, but it still sounds great. Um, but um, thank, thank you. you. Thank you both so much. Uh, like Truly we said, behind it. our door, we'll welcome you again. And very, very soon with these other um, important topics, you, you guys are really huge, making a big difference in the world out there. Can't thank you enough. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at 
behindourdooratmail.com. That's behindourdooratmail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, Leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.